Welcome to South London Voices, a Tiger Spirit podcast celebrating people in South London and beyond. I'm multimedia author and South Londoner Yang Mei Ui. Today I'm in conversation with Navjot Singh, travel and features writer. Now we've got a show notes page where you can see a slideshow of photos of Navjot and images of some of the things that uh, he and I talk about. So if you want to take a look at those, uh, go to southlondonvoices.co.uk and look for episode 5, episode SLV005, A World View with Navjot Singh. So let's get on with the show. So, Navjot Singh, travel and features writer, welcome to the South London Voices podcast. Thank you, Young May. Thanks for having me here. Great. Now, on your website, you describe yourself as an Englishman of Indian heritage. Can you tell us more about your cross-cultural links, in particular the relationship between South London and your, your Indian background? Well, firstly, that's a very good question. Um, I think... Um, I'm proud to be a South Londoner. I've lived and worked in South London uh, ever since I was uh, four years old. Um, I mean, you should never forget your roots. Um, And my heritage is that I was born in uh, an American military hospital in North India, in Punjab. And um, I'm actually an international guy, so to speak. I mean, I knew, I always knew since I was a kid that I wasn't fascinated about travel. Always had been encouraged by my parents to uh, travel. And, you know, I was, I think my first um, memory of seeing a plane was at night time. The flashy lights, it looked like a Christmas tree. And I was about four and a half years old. And I still remember it. It was uh, sleeping on the veranda in the evening and, and seeing the lights go past. And um, so my connection is that I'm, um, sadly, I mean, I have, I have no real connection with India as such. Uh, I don't see, really see myself as, uh, you know, um, I have to say this very carefully, like Indian, Indian, um, British Indian. So I suppose that comes in fact, I haven't been to India since 1998. I sadly have no family there. So it, that heritage part is there, definitely. And it's a fascinating place and I would love to go and visit uh, the country sometime. It's full of like 52 odd ethnic minorities. It's a big uh, multicultural uh, global uh, globalist country. Um, I think the key thing is London is that London resonates well uh, with me. Um, I've had my schooling over here. I went to uh, prep school here. I went to secondary school here. So it resonates a lot with um, with everything else I've done in life, because all my upbringing, my education, um, the cultural aspect of um, having, you know, been educated and brought up with good manners and being shown the good things in life put in the right way, I think I have to thank, my, firstly, obviously my parents for that, but I think also the South London culture is good. It's very tolerant. Um, is it different from other parts of the UK? I have no idea. I've never, sadly, not lived much in other parts of the UK. So for me, the comfort, comfort zone is um, South London. I can't imagine thinking of living in East London or West London or North London because I would feel alienated. You know, it's your creature comforts. We, we My wife and I, we, we live in Sydenham Hill. I've, my parents live in Tulse Hill, very close to 
Thurlow Park Road. So even my parents don't want to move. We're, we're encouraging, my, I'm telling my parents, you know, you're retired now, move somewhere else. You need to go somewhere quiet. And they say, no, all the creature comforts are here. We've got our GP, a doctor who's been here for 20 odd years, 25 years. We've got all our friends here. So that's part of it is really important. And for me, the lifestyle is no matter where I go in the world, I've lived and worked in China for about 12 years. Um, I've lived in uh, Dubai, I've lived in Geneva for a year. But at the end of the day, my, my, my return ticket has always been back to uh, Heathrow and more specifically the taxis going, being going back to South London. So, um, South London is home. Yeah, no matter what happens, I'm going to boomerang back here. That's really fascinating because I think for me, of course, um, I'm from Malaysia uh, and I came over here uh, when I was 12 to school and I've stayed on. And um, it's been slightly unlike you because you haven't really been back to India. I've, I go back and see, see my parents and I've still got family. But really for me, London, South London is home. I've been here for about 16 to 18 years. Uh, the UK is home. And I think what you talk about in terms of the um, the culture, English culture, British culture, South London culture, it feels comfortable. Um, it's, it is home, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. I, I, I think you mentioned a very important point over there. A few things about me that maybe readers may not, listeners, sorry, may not know is that I'm quite, you know, my profile, the way I've been working and been living around the world, it's been quite interesting. So it's not your usual kind of stereotypical um, uh, British Asian. I mean, you've got to have a healthy mix of, I've always had a healthy mix of friends, uh, irrespective of their race and background. So um, I was fortunate enough to have my principal education at Dulwich College as well, which is quite a multicultural um, school. The intake is quite multicultural. We had, you know, um, boys on in, in the boarding house from places like Malaysia, um, Hong Kong and Predominantly in those days, this was in the 90s. I suspect now it's from mainland China. Um, and so I've had that kind of international global upbringing where you learn to respect different cultures and you learn to adapt to different lifestyles. And that's, I suppose, that's one aspect of when I was talking about the upbringing, about the correct culture and everything, the putting people in the right way. I suppose that's one reason why I've kind of tolerated living and working in a kind of, uh, what's the word to use? Not In those days, it was hostile, not anymore. It's a hardship uh, place uh, for expats it's in, in mainland China. It's not easy for expatriates to live and work there. It's, you know, yes, the economy is uh, booming at the moment. However, the, the, the lifestyle, the day-in, day-out living uh, aspects of doing um, everyday things is very different. So that part of it, uh, I, I've got to thank my upbringing too. Um, the Indian part of it, yes, I suppose. I'm not really um, acquainted with the culture. I mean, when, when we say Indian culture, I, I, I go to a stop because India is full of so many different cultures. It's got 53, I think, my ethnic minorities. And my background is I'm an Orthodox Sikh. So as you can see, I'm not, not a very good Sikh as well. So, <laughs> so, so just to describe to the listeners, Sikhs generally have long hair. Um, and they wear a turban, and um, I'm completely uh, clean shaven, and um, <laughs> dare I say it, his head is also shaven. <laughs> so for me, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I um, yeah, I haven't really married into the culture as such. I don't have that many um, 
you know, I don't have friends just from the Indian uh, uh, background. Like you find places in the UK where people live just within their own backgrounds or cultures. Uh, I've had a very healthy mix of friends who are, uh, even if they're not British, but they're from different backgrounds. So they, you know, they might be white, they might be black, Indian, etc. So for me, that is important. Uh, because I want my daughter and my family as well to have a healthy uh, upbringing as well. And that goes within our family. My wife is Chinese. Oh, we'll come to that. Yeah. We'll come to that. And that's really, really fascinating. Um, but let's just stick with, with travel writing and your, and your global glo- uh, glo- globe-trotting uh, lifestyle. So you're a travel writer specialising in Asia. Um, but and of course, to, you know, we would stereotypically think, oh, he's of Indian heritage, so therefore he should specialize in the Indian subcontinent. But as you've just said, um, you are a China specialist. So how how did that come about? I think that's a very good point over there. Before I answer that question, may I just drift into another issue behind that? Sure. Um, and it's been in the news quite recently as well. You may have seen there's a Vietnamese, uh, there's an American actress of Vietnamese heritage, and she was uh, uh, she was going through a similar kind of aspect where she had to change. She stopped speaking Vietnamese, and that's a different aspect. I never stopped speaking any Indian language because I never really wasn't married to that culture as such. I can speak a little bit of Hindi, but that's you know, I'm not com- completely dissing my Indian heritage. Uh, firstly. And secondly, um, I haven't changed my name. It's still Navjot Singh. Uh, I haven't called myself Nigel Smith or, um, you know, something like Norman, Norman Dulwich Singh Saxby or something. I don't know. Something, I haven't anglicised it. Like some actors or some writers, um, people who want to get in the creative industry, specifically in the US and the UK, if they're from a non-anglicised background... Um, I know I sound very British and English on the on the when people are listening to me, but when they read my name, they read look at my website. They haven't heard my voice. They haven't seen me talking. They haven't seen me. So they're immediately going to conjure up that mentality. Oh, he's he's just he's probably from India. They're not even going to look at the biography. So that immediate judgmental aspect of people is going to be there. I'm one of those who has decided not to change my name, to anglicise it. Why should I? I'm proud of, this is the name I was given by my parents. This is the name which I've been successful with. It's got to me to go to a really famous school. I got a full scholarship at Dulwich College. Um, I've won numerous awards. I won the the Young Engineers Award. I won the Young Engineers Award for Britain in 1999. And that, the name I have. Um, I went to university, I got you know, top honours, first class honours in a tough course. I was sponsored by big companies with Philips. So I've had lots of successes in my career and I'm thinking, why should I change my name? And a lot of people have said, someone actually su- suggested something like Navjo. Oh, you've got an amazing background. You've, got, you've done all these amazing things, written books about China. And again, that's another thing I'll come to in a minute. Um, and you've... you've done things that even, uh, uh, excuse, excuse the generalisation over here, but even some people of white heritage, or they would not be able to achieve. Um, even Western, someone with a Western name might not be able to achieve. So I said, but that's brilliant. That shows that you can do something. It doesn't matter what your name is, what, where your heritage is, as long as you can prove it. 
you know, as long as you can prove your credentials and you can you can um, be integrated into various societies. And I think that's the aspect of my success is that I'm very easy to integrate into different societies. I've integrated well into the Chinese society. I can speak, I can't read and write Chinese, but I, when I speak Chinese, I almost think I am Chinese. I argue in Chinese over, you know, when if I go into a market, I'll surprise the fruit seller and I'll, I'll speak to them in Chinese in, in Guangzhou or Shenzhen. And that's happened. Even my wife says, uh, sometimes she says, oh, you are, you are, you're more Chinese than me. <laughs> um, and uh, it's the same thing. If I go to Yorkshire, I'll probably be very, very Yorkshireman. If I go to, you know, northern England, like Newcastle or something, I'll probably speak, be very, very localized if I was born and brought in up there. So for me, integration is very part, uh, very important. And I think that's the secret to success is you need to really adapt to the integral part, respect who you are as a as a as your heritage or your background, but try to integrate a little bit more into the society that you're in. And the, the, my upbringing has been English, and that's where I come from. My upbringing has been very English. Um, uh, when I'm with the, I've met a few native Indians, and I, I they, you know, I, I, um, I'm integrating with them as well. So that kind of touching base with different societies is. is it comes second nature to me. So that, I think that's the success of my uh, reason for the success. I, I really love what you've just said, because I think in the present climate where there is a kind of polarisation, um, whether it's the tabloids who say that or the politicians or whatever, well, regardless of that, it's almost like uh, there's a generalisation that if you are of uh, Indian background, you have to be completely Indian. Or if you're you know, from the West and white, you have to be completely of that culture and so on. But actually, human beings are completely adaptable. And, the, and what is exciting about the world and human beings is that we are, all can be fascinated by different cultures. We can be open to uh, different ideas uh, and uh, different foods, different uh, ways of doing things. And I love the story that you say about being able to speak Chinese in a market. Actually, I'm Chinese. I can't really speak Chinese. And so, you know, the people who walk past me go, Ni hao. I say, well, hi, how are you? <laughs> you know, um, and if I go into a Chinese restaurant, um, people see me as Chinese. They hand me the special Chinese menu and I can't actually read it. <laughs> and I've got to pick from the pictures. Um, so, uh, and I think it, it is about um, what you say about, you know, doing your best, whatever your background, whatever your ethnicity, it's about doing your best uh, in your uh, studies, in your work, wherever you are, making the most of it, being open to people and um, fitting in within that, that culture. I mean, for example, just something very simple. Um, you came to, to uh, when you stepped inside my house, you said, should I take my shoes off? And I said, no, that's fine. And in some, in some cultures, you know, you take your shoes off. Yeah. In other cultures, you don't. Yeah. And you just kind of adapt and be respectful to, to, to that kind of thing. So, so thank you for sharing those, those diverse thoughts. Um, so, um, yeah, so how did you get in to, you know, into, into the interest in, in China? So um, after graduating from Loughborough University, I did a diploma, a short-term diploma at Cambridge in sustainability, international sustainability management. So after that, I was, I mean, during my master's degree at uh, Loughborough, I was sponsored by Philips uh, Semiconductors. And they, um, I, I was working in Southampton during my internship there in the summer in 2001. And 
So during that time, I saw all the, you know, my, my immediate manager, uh, who I've got to thank, um, he's the international product marketing manager. So he, they, they were doing lots of work with uh, Taiwan and they were doing lots of work with Hong Kong and Shenzhen in these days. Um, obviously completely oblivious, I knew nothing about those cultures, I knew nothing, but there was lots of fascinating work going on because the R&D department, research and development, and the manufacturing facilities were based over there. So I, was, I got sent on a project there and effectively I just got kind of poached to be in that team um, as, a, as, a, as a graduate. And this was, so I didn't start my graduate career in the UK, I started my graduate career in, um, in uh, China, in uh, Shenzhen, and not even in Hong Kong. Um, and uh, I know some, there's a, I was going to say Hong Kong, there's a disguise, people may think Hong Kong's part of China is debatable, but at the, in those days it was very much Hong Kong was slightly different, uh, uh, two countries, one system uh, kind of place. So. I think Shenzhen I lived and worked in for six months and then after that I got uh, headhunted into Huawei Technologies. It was a big thing because uh, it was like the Cisco of China, it was something big. Someone said, oh wow, you got a job in Huawei and I was like, uh, yeah, big deal, like what is Huawei? But it was the biggest uh, company, it was, a, it, was a, it was a status symbol apparently if you work there, if you got, it was like working for Google or Facebook or Amazon, it was a big uh, telecoms company. Um, so I worked there as an international marketing manager uh, and I was the editor of the Huawei run, the Huawei People magazine, internal company magazine. And then um, there and then, I mean, my history is I just kind of stayed there. I, I, at the same time, I started writing a diary about day-to-day uh, -day living in China. Uh, and in those days, bear in mind that internet was still in its infancy. So, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Facebook wasn't even born. Um, Twitter wasn't even born. Um, LinkedIn wasn't born. So none of these things existed. So the only thing was people got information via books. They got information via leaflets. Internet was it's still in its infancy. Um, you remember the old modems, right? They still make those crackling noises. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they, we had those kind of modems, like, you make it, yeah, right? <laughs> so it was it's still, too, can you believe it? It's like only 2004, 2005 we're talking about. And uh, working in Huawei, our job was to sell routers and switches for big companies, so those small ones, but in bigger portions. Um, and uh, so I started writing a daily diary about my life and work in China. I did lots of due diligence, did my own research. Um, that was a coffee table book about what, how to live life as an expat in China. And it was for people who are thinking of relocating to China. Um, so I pitched it to about 50 publishers when I came back to the UK. And um, I came back to the UK in that time in 2007, uh, briefly. And then I just worked for six months, day in, day out, on the book. Uh, it was an experience. I wrote everything myself. I did the research myself. It's amazing because I never was. I never. I was never taught. I was self-taught about how to write a book. Self-taught research. Everything was self-taught in terms of the structure and looking at the instructional design of the book as well. And interestingly enough, I pitched that to a few, you know, over fifty publishers, and three of them accepted it. So it's, it's, it's a tough market, by the way, uh, publishing books is not easy, but I've proven myself, I've been there, done that. 
And I didn't want to go through the self-published route because at those days it was like, okay, self-published is like... It was much harder back then. It was then. much harder then. Yeah. But fantastic, you've got three publishers interested. Right. So I have... Um, that's how I really got into China. And then from there on then I had my... Um, not just passion, but I've been acquainted with that country for a long, long time, for culture-wise. And what I've seen in the past, you know, 15 years... Uh, specifically just after the Beijing Olympics as well because my books were published just in time for the Beijing Olympics because there was a big hoo-ha about China China was China this, China that there was a big it was going through an economic rise at that time it's somewhat stabilised and slowed down um, and uh, I uh, since that I've been in, involved in UK-China relations to some extent in the sense that I've been a thought leader I've been a uh, I have a column on the China Radio International, which is like the um, BBC of China. It's part of the CCTV uh, organization, um, state-owned radio. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, this is why I've been... I've worked for three big Chinese companies. That's a rare thing as well for, for any foreigner, I think, having insights. At one day, I do want to write a book about that because that would be a... That would be unique. Normal. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. So Alibaba.com um, or Alibaba Group, uh, obviously Huawei um, and um, Tencent and also Dajiang, which is DJI, which they make the phantom drones. So I, I've been there, I've done that and I'm looking back and I'm like, wow, I actually did that. That's not easy to do. You look back at things in history and you think, I actually managed to do that. Um, and I, and, and I think to, it would be a fascinating read. I think it would be. And, and to be part of the um, China Renaissance, I suppose, you know, uh, Alibaba, Jack Ma, he's the Steve Jobs, I guess, of, of China. To have been involved in that, to have seen China grow um, and, and become part of the technological age. Absolutely. Yes, very much so. So um, three different CEOs I worked for. So one is obviously a, a, a Jack Ma for Alibaba, but there's also Ranjit Feng for Huawei and uh, Pony Ma from uh, Tencent. So I've actually witnessed all three of them in action and three different personalities, three different CEOs. One's a secretary, one's a former military commander. It's, it's very different, very different. Terrific, <laughs> great. So now, um, you fell in love with China, the country, but you also fell in love with a lovely young lady um, and you've recently got married and uh, you've both decided to settle in South London. So, yes, yeah, so actually I met my wife in London. So, and um, it's quite an interesting story. I came back from uh, China in 2015. I went to, I was on a press trip just after the, there was an earthquake in, I went to Nepal. There was an earthquake in Nepal in 2015. So I was there in August. And um, just after that trip, I came back and kind of settled down. Things have been quite amazing since August 2015. So I've, since that time, I've obviously engaged, um, obviously met someone, got engaged, got married. Uh, we've got a beautiful daughter as well. So, and we've our house is in uh, Sydenham Hill. So um, life is very much stabilised over here. My wife is originally from Yangzhou. Uh, in Jiangsu province, um, that's where the, the famous rice comes from, the egg fried rice, the Yangzhou rice. And there's, yeah, there's no shortage of rice over there. But it's, it's interesting because there's not one shop that actually sells the authentic rice. Apparently it just comes from there. I don't know if that's about the name. But, 
a lot of heritage over there. Um, and interestingly enough, would you have, you know, 10 years ago, wh where my wife comes from in Yangzhou, um, 10 years ago, that was practically just a village in that area. Um, you would not have imagined there would be international flights going. They'd, yeah, they'd, the government just built a brand new airport a few years ago. Um, and and you've never have imagined that because in the middle of nowhere and you can fly direct from London to uh, Beijing and to, to that place now, to Yangzhou, which is amazing. Um, so we're very much connected with China, obviously. Uh, and uh, she's working here in London. She's on maternity leave, but we're very much cemented on the fact that London is going to be our base. We thought about a million other places to stay. You know, we thought, shall we stay in Milton Keynes or outside of London or even Manchester? Then it was like, no, let's narrow the options down. We were looking, when we were looking for a house, we were looking Kingston, Richmond, etc. But South London is the place. Sydney is the place. And we love it. Everything's close by. You know, Victoria is only 15 minutes away by train. Um, uh, everything's here. So, yeah. And one of the things that uh, I noticed um, that you're, because uh, we're obviously friends on Facebook and I see wonderful pictures of you and your family and of course your wedding and the cross-cultural aspect, and I think that's so, so lovely. Can you kind of expand a bit about, about that? Our wedding, we had a Chinese, traditional Chinese wedding in Yangzhou in China. Um, so the, my whole family flew over there um, to Yangzhou and we went over for three days over there. And then um, it was quite interesting. We went to, we had the Chinese wedding. Then we went to Langkawi for our honeymoon. Oh, Malaysia. Malaysia, yeah, Langkawi, <laughs> right? So it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, from there, we came back to London and we had a registry marriage at Chelsea Town Hall, um, the old, old town hall in Chelsea. And we didn't really have a... Indian, Indian religion, or a Sikh uh, religious wedding or anything like that. We just had a registry where at marriage uh, and where all the relatives came. And then we uh, just had dinner and dance after that. So, uh, in, but um, yeah, it, it, it was great. Uh, I think it was a very, uh, obviously, a special moment for everyone. And we decided to keep it uh, low-key like that because I think it was very intimate, very close with our, with our family. Our family is very close over here. Um, I've got a few uncles living in Milton Keynes, so etc. So yeah, no, it was it was a blend of two cultures. Yeah, sounds wonderful. So now, just to kind of bring everything to a close, you're a travel writer. Um, imagine you are arriving in South London as a travel writer from abroad. Um, what would you say about it? If you were to write an article, um, how would you describe it to your overseas readers? Well. Few things. I think South South London is a um, is is a hop of of different cultures. So there's no one aspect of South London which you can define. Oh, okay, this is how South London is. You know, you go to Brixton and you hear someone speaking Patois. You go to Camberwell, you hear someone speaking Swahili or someone speaking uh, Afrikaans. Or you go to Stockwell and someone's going to be speaking in Portuguese and Spanish because of the Latin American population over there. Um, I think there are a few hidden gems. One of the key hidden gems of South London is uh, when you go to our neck of the woods, when you come to our neck of the woods in Sydenham Hill in Dulwich, there's a lovely walk, which is uh, it's a hidden gem. Not many tourists there. I never see tourists around there. 
It's just behind Dulwich College. And it's as, as you're going up to Sydenham Hill. Uh, bear in mind, it's not for the faint-hearted. So you're <laughs> going to have to... I know I've seen a few cyclists around there. But if you want to... Uh, you know, if you love the great outdoors, you love hiking, you love walking... Uh, there's a you know as you go up to you leave Sydenham Hill Station and you go up you're walking up the hill it's a actually a little bit of a torture actually so people have said you're killing me but it's not it's not that bad it's a steep steep hill but the good thing is there's a lovely pub at the top so you can have a nice pint once once you get up and then you can walk up to Crystal Palace from there and you can walk back again uh, through College Road and back to back to Dulwich, so I would say it's good for walking. If I was to describe South London, I think it's it's a f fascinating place where you can walk. Lovely parks, um, and um, and Streatham is good. You know, Streatham Common is good for jogging as well. So if you like jogging, if you like walking, if you like to get away from the hustle and bustle of central London, and you come here as a tourist. You want to just while away and just enjoy an evening. Um, uh, you can you can do that in South London. It's it's a great place for that. Yeah, and that's only about ten minutes, fifteen minutes from central London by by train. So I, I think that's a really good angle because, of course, overseas people uh, tourists would see London as a big metropolis, um, but to give that different angle to see it as a green place for um, uh, healthy exercise and, and so on. That's great. Absolutely, and I think South London is probably one of the greenest uh, places in the whole of London. I mean, I've been up around to North London, been to Primrose Hill and all that, and you know, people talk about Primrose Hill and Hampstead Heath, but no one talks about the hidden gems over here. There's, you know, when you look at the hills around here, Brian Forest Hill and Hornimonium Museum and uh, Dawson's Heights, which is the council estate just behind there, you go up that hill, you can see the whole of London. You don't need to go up the Shard for that. You don't need to go up anywhere. You can get a bird's eye view of the whole city from the east to the west. And it's a gifted view. If tourists knew about that, um, I think someone will become really rich. <laughs> Navjot Singh, thank you very much. Now, if people want to find out more about you and your writing, where, where should they go? Well, they can come to my website. So it's uh, www.navjot-singh.com. And uh, they're more than welcome to connect to me uh, on Twitter as well. So it's navjot underscore sing 888. 888 obviously is, is, is suspicious in Chinese culture. I suspect that's where I got it. All oh, right, so it's good luck. So triple good luck. Navjot yeah. underscore sing triple good luck. <laughs> yeah, I, I suspect so. so and um, yeah, I mean, they can connect to me. I'm quite, quite open to meeting people. So yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, young me. Our South London voice today was Navjot Singh. And to check out his website, go to www.navjot, that's N-A-V-J-O-T, hyphen Singh, S-I-N-G-H dot com. Navjot, uh, Navjot hyphen Singh dot com. To find links to some of the of the things we talked about today, go to southlondonvoices.co.uk and search for episode 5, episode SLV005, A World View with Navjot Singh. Or you can use the bit.ly short link, that's bit.ly forward slash slv 
worldview. The South London Voices podcast is produced by tigerspirit.co.uk. I'm Yang Mei Ui, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at tigerspiruk. You can follow South London Voices on Twitter at South London Vox, that's V-O-X, South London Vox. And we're also on Facebook. Go to facebook.com forward slash South London Voices. Thanks for listening.